What up, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Square Circle Podcast. I am your host, Marie Shadows, and on this episode, I am going to be discussing a little bit about Forbidden Door. I know I am late to the party. It's totally okay, and I have a perfect reason why I am late to the party. You guys are definitely going to be shocked when I say this and you hear this. Forbidden Door was an overall success. It was actually a good pay-per-view. There was only two things that I would have changed. And I'm only going to get into those two things in this podcast. So it's probably going to be a short podcast. I'm not going to go over every single match. Everyone has already said their piece about it. The general consensus is that everyone enjoyed it. I even enjoyed it too. And that's because thank you to the New Japan Pro Wrestlers who know how to wrestle and know how to bring in good quality wrestling meaning that they're able to control the match and make the match worthwhile to see it because AEW tends to have a lot of high spots and a lot of things that don't make sense and a lot of go, 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 rather than like go take a little breather, maybe pander to the crowd, maybe sell a little bit before you do your next move that you're supposed to do. So thank you to NJPW for reining in the AW wrestlers to have them really work a match and what it means to tell a story. That's what sometimes AEW wrestlers forget because AEW hires a lot of good workers in the ring, but most of that time, the workers don't know how to really tell a story inside the ring. And even if they do, it's sort of rushed or it starts and then like something happens where like it's not really there. So that's why we ended up having a very good NJPW and AEW event, or I should say an AEW and New Japan event. I still did not like the buildup, but they had to make do with what they can have. So, you know, the Forbidden Door pay-per-view was actually a good pay-per-view. I said I didn't like two things, and that's about it. So let's just get right into those two things. But before that, if you enjoyed this podcast episode, this podcast episode will be on marieshadows.substack.com for free where you can listen to it. And then if you want to, you can also sign up to that newsletter because wrestling is going to be dropping directly to your email inbox every single day at 10 a.m. because I'm going to be covering the G1 Climax 32 from New Japan Pro Wrestling. So if you are a wrestling fan, help me out. Sign up is free. If you want to support me further, you can upgrade your free subscription to a paid subscription. And guess what? I'm offering you a discount. Get 28% off for one year and monthly subscriptions when you decide to upgrade from free to paid. All you have to do is head over to marieshadows.substack.com forward slash G132 and that will allow you to automatically have the 28% off when you decide to upgrade from free to pay. Again, just a little reminder that I am not backed by any of the wrestling websites that you see on Twitter. I am doing all the work myself, meaning the research the talking about wrestling, the breaking down wrestling news, 
Anything that revolves around wrestling and getting it directly to your inbox, it is me, myself, and I. I do have a wonderful readership that I am really thankful for in order to be on this journey with me and to have this journey come to life. I am thankful for everyone over on Twitter that likes, retweets, quote tweets, gets the word out there and let people know that I am growing an organic community of people who love wrestling, people who have an open mind about wrestling and really want to learn more about New Japan Pro Wrestling because I am the professor of New Japan Pro Wrestling and also the NJPW queen. So, you know, the more the merrier. I would appreciate you to be here with me on this journey. And if you're listening this far, that means you probably already signed up and you're listening no matter what. I highly appreciate you guys. Again, if you want to support me in everything that I do professional wrestling-wise and you're a new listener, a new reader, signing up is free. All you need is an email. I do not ask you to go through loopholes to make sure you're a real person. I trust that you are a real person the same way that you trust that I am a real person and have all this knowledge of wrestling, New Japan Pro Wrestling, everything the works. So, marieshadows.substack.com forward slash G132 will give you 28% off for one year and monthly subscriptions. If you don't want to do that, you can sign up for free and I'll still love you and I'll still include you and I'll still acknowledge you. All right, let's start with the winner take all triple threat tag team match that happened at Forbidden Door. You had FTR, which is Dax Hardwood and Cash Wheeler taking on... United Empire's own Jeff Cobb and the Great Ocon taking on Trent Beretta and Rocky Romero creating Rapungi Vice. FTR put up their Ring of Honor World Tag Team Championship titles. Jeff Cobb and the Great Ocon put up their IWGP World Tag Team Championship titles. Trent and Rocky had no titles. So they were the wild card in this match. And if they would have won, they would have collected both sets of championship titles. We already know who won. So I will say this. Fuck FTR. FTR managed to win this match in the most WWE formula-esque way. That it was really like, why the fuck did we have this match in the first place? First of all, before anyone comes after me, because I know people will probably come after me. Hear me out. Have an open mind. This is where you should have this open mind. Because I'm looking at this more from a business creative perspective than a fan perspective. And I'll get into details about like the difference and stuff like that. Because a lot of people going into this Forbidden Door pay-per-view don't really watch New Japan Pro Wrestling. They maybe watch it through the grapevine. They maybe read their favorite wrestling sites at updates. Or they ask me about it and I give them the details. But a good chunk of the people that watch the AEWX New Japan Forbidden Door pay-per-view, do not have a subscription to NJPW World, which, by the way, it's only $7 a month now. 
our dollar value, the United States dollar value dropped, while in Japan, their yen value is still 999 yen. So that converts to $7 a month for us over here. So if you have the means to get a subscription, go get a subscription at njpwworld.com. When you sign up, make sure that you sign up either on the 1st of whatever month you're going to sign up or somewhere between the first week and the second week. Because if you decide to sign up on the last day of the month you decide to sign up, you're going to get charged twice because you have to realize the time zone difference between Japan and United States. So keep in mind, if you ever want to get a New Japan subscription, do it that way. Either sign up the first two weeks or whatever month you choose or the first of the month. So that way, every single month, they'll take that money. And that date does not change. So if you decide to get it today on July 9th, 2022, don't expect next month they're going to take out the money on the 9th. They're going to take that money out on the 1st. It's the first of every single month that Japan takes that money out for the NJPW World subscription. And I really stand by it. It's a really good subscription. You get to go back into the archives and watch your favorite matches. Learn some more history about New Japan Pro Wrestling. Learn more about the wrestlers. And, you know, you and I could have a conversation about it. You and I could definitely support one of the best wrestling companies on the planet, which is New Japan Pro Wrestling. And no, New Japan does not give me any type of endorsement or extra money or whatever you want to say by me plugging this in. I truly believe that the network that New Japan Pro Wrestling has is one of the best. And because I worked with the WWE Network, you know, networks are really good to just archive stuff and to go back into history and just watch it. But let me get back to the match at hand here. I also want to point out that, yes, I do know that the backstage talks was that Gato originally wanted the Young Bucks to be in this triple threat winner-take-all tag team title match. Gato originally wanted the Young Bucks to win the IWGP titles, but the Young Bucks said no, and that the Young Bucks said we'll give it to FTR. First of all, a couple things wrong with this match to begin with. If it's a winner-take-all match, even if the Young Bucks are EVPs, they currently hold AEW Gold. They are the AEW World Tag Team Champions, the first ever to be two-time AEW World Tag Team Champions, which is really, that's a whole nother conversation. So if you are a champion, you should be in this match if the match says winner take all. I have nothing really against Rocky and Trent. They were there because to try and continue their story with the United Empire, with Jeff Cobb and the Great Okan, not so much with FTR. So you have some type of story element coming from New Japan Pro Wrestling, so it's understandable. However, if this was just an ordinary, regular match where it was United Empire versus Trent and Rocky, sure, fine, I'll accept that. But, you know, Rocky and Trent didn't really bring anything to this winner-take-all match. So I would not have been upset if the Young Bucks would have won all the titles because at least I know that eventually... 
the Young Bucks would drop some of the titles to some of the other wrestlers. But I also know that the Young Bucks will not be afraid to travel to New Japan Pro Wrestling. Put those titles on the line during the undercard of the G1 that's happening from July 16th all the way to August 18th. August 18th being the finals. The Young Bucks already made a name for themselves in New Japan Pro Wrestling. The same thing with Kenny Omega. The Young Bucks have won the IWGP Junior Tag Team Championships. And now that they're a little bit older and probably a little bit heavier, it makes sense to give them the heavyweight tag team championship titles. My point is, is that I know for a fact, because the Young Bucks has endured the tour of New Japan, and they understand the elements that go into touring with New Japan, that they will go over there, defend those belts. I am not too sure about FTR doing that shit. FTR likes to talk a lot of shit. Hold up. Let me uh, rephrase that. Dax likes to talk a lot of shit about wrestling and other wrestlers and claiming that FTR is the best and that they're living legends and that they love Bret Hart. Well, Dax really loves Bret Hart. And that's where like I have this problem with. It's because for people that tend to talk a lot of shit, he could definitely back it up, but at least know when to talk your shit and like how to talk your shit. There's a thing of like getting under people's skin because you're just saying shit out your ass. And it's just like, really, that's the kind of character you want to like go forward and have this like chip on your shoulder and then, you know, still talk about the fact that you had this really bad anxiety attack and now that you're better and but you're still talking shit as if like you're untouchable. That's the kind of shit talking that it's like really bothers me. You want to be the best tag team in the world. If we're going to have this debate, that means you are going to have to be like the Dudleys. For those of you that haven't watched wrestling in years, the Dudley boys were in WWF, WWE. They were also known as Team 3D. You had Bubba Ray and Brother Devon. And then you had like Spike Dudley. So that's why I'm talking about the Dudleys. The Dudleys made a name for themselves to be talked about in the debate of the greatest tag team in the world because they decided to go to every other company and win tag team gold. They even went to New Japan Pro Wrestling and got those IWGP World Tag Team Championships. They went and wrestled for it. FTR had it handed to them in AEW because the Young Bucks wanted that to happen. So eventually we could get to FTR versus Young Bucks part three, I think it is. I don't even know. I lost count. I really lost count in this feud. It's just one of those things of like, if you don't continue a story by leaving little breadcrumbs to eventually come back to it, I'm just not going to pay attention to it. So let's look at these accolades. FTR is basically known for being in WWE for as long as they were there. And they won multiple championships across multiple brands that WWE owns. So that means NXT, Raw, SmackDown, that's it. Then when they leave WWE, 
they automatically go and sign to AEW so we can get this story off the ground between the Young Bucks and FTR. So during the Young Bucks show called Being the Elite, which is on YouTube, they started this whole thing of Fuck the Revival. The Revival was the original name for FTR, and then it turned into Fuck FTR, right? So they did these little bits that basically was like, fuck the revival. So when FTR came over to AEW, they started the feud with the Young Bucks. It wasn't the best. I will say that it wasn't the best. Anyway, ever since then, FTR has not really went to any other promotion because apparently AEW wrestlers are allowed to go to different promotions whenever they want because they're independent contractors. That's what Twitter will always tell you. That's what Twitter will always come into your threads and let you know and don't you ever forget about it. However, Tony Khan is always the mastermind that Tony Khan has other ideas about how to control certain wrestlers. So keep that in mind too. So FTR has not went to other promotions such as Impact, MLW. They went to AAA. Cool, you got, you know, Spanish titles. Awesome. No one cares about AAA like that. Everyone cares about Impact Wrestling, MLW, WWE, AEW, New Japan Pro Wrestling. People even care about Warrior Wrestling. People even care about other big indie companies that are starting to get a lot of buzz behind them. But what is FTR doing? They're staying at home. They're not really going to any other promotions to try to get more gold under the belt. So that way Dax, it's mainly Dax here, Dax being the mouthpiece. So that way Dax, so that way Dax can continue to say that they are the best tag team in the world and that they are living legends. You can't call yourself a living legend if you're not going to go out there, do the work and then like still talk shit. That's my problem. You say you're the best tag team in the world, but you're not doing anything. You're at home always saying, my beautiful wife, my beautiful child. And I usually don't like bringing up personal stuff about a wrestler on my podcast episodes. But if you're going to put it out there, then I can talk about it. That's also another thing, too, is that like wrestlers tend to put out their personal lives and then when people jump on them for whatever it is or say some really nasty mean things they want to turn around and play the victim and be like oh you shouldn't be talking about my family you shouldn't be talking about this well don't put your private don't put your privacy out online and expect that when something goes wrong it should be a private matter when you already waived your own right to that privacy you know So Dax is always praising Bret Hart, his wife, and his daughter. And it's like, keep that private and go out, get some more title belts, get some more money coming in. Because right now it just feels like an AEW contract is keeping everybody content where everybody doesn't have to work 10 times harder than what they need to keeping them content to not really train in the ring or train with each other. So that way, when they have matches, it can feel like they have that chemistry, that it can be that smooth. So that's my main reason why I don't like Dax. I know people are going to be like, oh my God, how can you not like him? I just don't like dickheads. 
And that's me being like super honest. I just don't like dickheads and all the red flags inside are just going off. I'd rather see them collect more gold and have them stake that flag in the ground that says, yes, we are the best tag team in the world and no one can touch us. Just because you wrestled for WWE as long as you did, and that's what you're most remembered for, doesn't mean you're the best tag team alive. You just got WWE branded belts. If you decided to tour a little bit before jumping to AEW as quickly as you guys did, then you guys can be considered one of the greatest tag team in the world. And by the way, I don't get the hype for FTR. I really don't. When you constantly want to have matches that emulate certain things from Bret Hart, yeah, you're not original. That's just how I see things. So there goes my rant only about Dax. Cash Wheeler is safe. He doesn't really talk his shit the same way that Dax talks his shit. And so let's get into this match. So, again, we have... Ring of Honor World Champions, FTR. We have IWGP World Heavyweight Tag Team Champions, Jeff Cobb and the Great Okan. And then we have Trent Beretta and Rocky Romero, Rapungi Vice, being the wild card in this match. So, for some reason, there was a spot where Dax injured, with air quotes, injured his shoulder. And... The trainers were like, oh, we're going to take you to the back. They took him to the back. Then FTR was basically out of the match for most of it. And then and Rocky put on one hell of a match between Jeff Cobb and the Great Okan. Jeff Cobb and the Great Okan are really big dudes. They are heavyweights. And you have Rocky and Trent being the average size wrestler going against super heavyweights when the great O'Connor and Jeff Cobb are put together as a really great team. So during most of that match, it was a great competitive back and forth between these two teams. Out comes Dax with his shoulder fixed. His arm is in a sling. It's a little bit taped up. And then he's wrestling as if, like, his shoulder doesn't bother him. He's wrestling as if, like, he's not selling all the way through and somehow making it through this match. And FTR manages to pick up the victory because of this spot. Who else in the wrestling world you know that does this? WWE is notorious for doing spots like this. And every single time there is a match that includes ex-WWE wrestlers against AEW wrestlers, you know that they're going to use the WWE formula. And I've seen it many times. And many times it's like I can spot it from a mile away. This is what's going to happen. Once Dax got that quote-unquote injury on his shoulder, I was like, oh, here we go. We're going to do the fucking WWE shit. He's going to go to the back. I'm not sure if he's like really hurt or whatever. And then he comes out and they finish the match and FTR gets the championship titles. And that's why I said fuck FTR because how do you do that? How do you allow them to get the championship titles by doing a spot like that? The crowd was into it because you can easily fool them, especially if 
one of your favorites come back out and you're like, oh my God, he's wrestling through the pain. Oh my God, I hope his shoulder's okay, but he's still wrestling. Like, it just really felt stupid and off. And my other biggest problem is that United Empire has been getting screwed over with the decisions that the referee makes, and that's mainly like Osprey's thing, but I can apply this to the whole entire group. Jeff Cobb and the Great O'Conn just got back those IWGP World Tag Team Championships from Bullet Club's own Chase Owens and Bad Luck Fale. They just got them back. And New Japan and the Young Bucks went along with giving it to an AEW wrestler. Now, I've heard some people say that, you know, how can Jeff Cobb and the Great Khan still be champion if the G1 is going to come around and they won't have enough time to defend it? That's a very valid point, and I'll give that point to whoever, you know, says that. I do agree. They're not going to have enough time to do that, especially even if they have the down off days of not having the G1. They're traveling to get to the place, so I totally get it. However, hear me out on this story. If FTR really wanted to be the best tag team in the world and they know that the IWGP tag titles are the titles that has eluded them, do you think that it would be smart to get their visas in working order so they can go over to Japan, also do this tour of the G1? They're not in the G1. However, they can do run-ins Whenever Jeff Cobb or the Great Okan are wrestling on their respective days with their respective opponents, do run-ins and cost them the G1 so it can build the story that is going to be FTR entering into the New Japan Pro Wrestling Tag Team League Tournament that we're going to be getting later on this year. That is how you build story. That is how you build animosity between two teams that believe in their heart of hearts that they are the best tag team in the world. And this would solidify FTR to being something worthy to talk about because I just don't really see it. And I apologize if that comes out really bad. But I just don't see it if all you're going to do is say we're... But I just don't see it if all you're going to say is we're the best tag team in the world. We prove it time and time again. But yet then you're copying off of Bret Hart in your matches. You're not doing anything original. You getting a fake shoulder injury and coming back out as a WWE formula. How is that going to prove to the AEW universe and the AEW company that you are different from what you were doing in WWE? Sometimes... WWE performers do rely on that WWE formula because that's what they've known for so many years, being with the company. And I totally get it. The WWE formula is a very safe formula to do, especially if you want longevity in this business, because certain things do take years off your life. I totally get that. But you have to have a time and a place and not as frequent to pull out WWE tactics In this winner-take-all tag team championship match, you did not need 
the WWE tactic. You could have showed the world that you could have hanged with the best in the world in that match without resulting to, oh my God, my shoulder's broken or hurt or injured. You go to the back, you come out like it just annoyed the hell out of me. And that's a really bad way to tell a story. That's a really bad way to leave a bad taste in someone's mouth who advocates for people to watch New Japan Pro Wrestling, to see these tag teams grow. And that really puts a stop on the tag team division over in New Japan Pro Wrestling by having FTR champions over here because we're not always going to see Japanese superstars or the foreign superstars come over and challenge for those tag team titles. And if they do, they're fucking losing because AEW proves that if you're not AEW, if you're not in the bubble of AEW and you're from somewhere else, you lose. That's what these partnerships end up fucking doing. And that also annoys me too, because it's like, there's a lot of good things that the new Japan wrestlers can showcase There's a lot of new things that the New Japan wrestlers can teach the AEW wrestlers because, again, AEW does not have a performance center or even a place where these guys can train and understand the fundamentals of wrestling. They have it. It's just that when you put it together in a match, there's always something off. There's not really a good balance. And then we don't even talk about it couple of days later, what happened on Dynamite? We want to see Dynamite on a Wednesday, see Rampage on a Friday, and then next week it's like a whole brand new thing and we're currently on the go, 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 rather than the go, let's digest, let's talk about this, let's see what we can improve. But that doesn't really happen. And I'm getting off the topic of the tag match. But that was my main problem is the WWE formula that Dax did because Dax wants to be the hero in his own story, which is cool. You could be the hero in your own story. But remember, you have a tag team partner and it doesn't seem like Cash is doing the same thing with the same energy that you bring out. And there's a difference in that balance. So one day, I really do hope FTR breaks up. Because I want to see how they will fare as singles competitors and see how far their careers will go. One is going to latch on to Bret Hart. The other one is probably going to be a really good star, really good storyteller in the ring. But yeah, one day maybe FTR will break up because of the energy difference between both. I really wanted the Great Ocon and Jeff Cobb to retain their tag team championship titles and maybe even get the ring of honor tag team championship titles. They could have stayed out here for a little bit longer to maybe drop the ROH belts or send some more guys over to Japan. So that way they could wrestle in the undercard and do the same thing. What FTR were going to do if I was planning it, if I was planning it, have the other people go in, make sure that, Jeff Cobb and the Great Ocon lose their respective matches and build up towards World Tag League and put everything on the line. Or I would not have been upset if the Young Bucks took all the gold just because it makes sense when you have a stipulation that says winner takes all. That means that like if you have something, you got to put it on the line. 
and the Young Bucks had the AEW Tag Team Championship titles that should have been on the line rather than them doing a Bullet Club sort of reunion with them teaming up with El Fantasma to take on LIJ and, well, Shingo, really, with Sting and Darby. You know, instead of having that fun little match, you have championship titles. This pay-per-view felt like it was championships all on the line, but yet then the Young Bucks are like, no, we're not putting up our championship titles. Okay. It's just one of those things of like, I don't know if they still want to do this because creative-wise, no one is asking questions. No one is really thinking outside the box. No one is really having a discussion backstage to be like, is this the right way that we should go with this storyline? And is this the right thing that we should do with this feud and this rivalry? Well, how is this going to translate over to Japan? Like, you know, can we get the visas working Um, there's a lot of questions that are probably asked, but it just feels like everyone is burnt out. It feels like, you know, nobody wants to hire a team. Nobody wants to think outside the box for the best possible scenario. And even though like, you know, they're workers and if you say too much, it might end up getting a really bad rep or consequences but if you're not invested into your own character into your own future into your own wrestling career then what's the point you should know that what you want as a wrestler should be talked about with management and creative to let them know this is how I want my character to go this is what I'm thinking about if they win this is what my character would do if they lose this is what my character would do you have to be sure of like who you are and not just step in that ring and be like, yeah, I'm a wrestler. There's more to being a wrestler than just wrestling. There's a lot of aspects and everyone should know this. It's just that it doesn't translate well when you watch it on your TV screens and you're just wondering where the hell this is going to go. Especially that like AEW really doesn't do angles as much when they should be to start new feuds or add a new layer to the current feud that they're doing. But it's all, like I said, it's all go, go, go. Doesn't matter. Wrestle, wrestle, wrestle. The fans love it. The fans love it. The fans love it. But if you're not slowing down to make sure that all the layers make sense, if you're not slowing down to make sure that you're getting the buzz that you need daily, then something is wrong. You have to go back to the drawing board. So quick little recap, because I know that I'm going off in tangents, but it's just I'm looking at this from a business creative standpoint because no one really truly wins in partnerships like this with AEW and New Japan Pro Wrestling. No one has really been asking Tony Khan the tough questions of why are you piggybacking off of everyone else that's already self-made and you're not really doing much with AEW. You're not really growing the homegrown talent. Everybody says that they are, but we don't really talk about it. We talk more about the WWE ex-wrestlers that are there. We see more stuff with them and nothing's really helping the homegrown talent. They haven't even like established certain things yet. They want to piggyback off of the New Japan product, the Impact product, just so that way eyes could be on them, but it keeps failing week after week. If 
I really don't like talking about ratings at all. I really don't. But I just want to bring this point home. If your ratings are stuck at the high 800,000s into the medium 900,000s for people who are watching at home, and you have not really went up a little bit here and there, then you have to rethink your strategy. Now, yes, I know someone will probably come after me and be like, oh, well, they hit a million. Congratulations. That's like two out of the three years they've been around. One is because of Jay White. You better thank Jay White for that one million that one time because that was definitely a surprise. The second time was Blood and Guts, part two. Or three, whichever one we're up to. But, like I said, you better thank Jay White for that one million the first time around. Because if it wasn't for him, AEW would have not gotten one million views. Anyway, so, it's still fuck FTR for winning the tag team titles like that. And letting the world know that the New Japan Pro Wrestling tag team division is shit. When the New Japan Pro Wrestling tag team division is very well established. They have very good tag teams. Sometimes, like I said, they don't have someone there to think outside the box to make everything new and fresh. However, this feud between Chase Owens and Bad Luck Fale with Jeff Cobb and the Great O'Conn is a really good feud to help build the tag division. And they were really starting to build it. But then now they really can't do shit because those belts are going to be staying here in the United States. That's my only problem with it. They, meaning Gato and the Young Bucks, should have rethought this. But again, the Young Bucks are very complacent and they're probably burnt out already. So, you know, I don't know when they're going to take a vacation. They need a vacation away from wrestling so that way they can come back and probably think of other stuff. But again, FTR won those IWGP World Tag Team Championship titles to add on to their collection of the Ring of Honor World Tag Team Championships and the AAA Tag Team Championships. Like, it is what it is. I hope that FTR defends those IWGP World Tag Team Championships over in Japan where they fucking belong. Or take it to New Japan Strong. Take it to New Japan Strong and fight those guys over there. And build up the heavyweight division no matter what. See, there's no commentary or angles or backstage comments or promos right after the Forbidden Door and like further to let us know what they're going to do with those belts. Nothing. They don't even say, yeah, we're going to do open challenges. Like, let us know what you're going to do with the belts rather than having us feel like it's going to be a hostage takeover where the belts aren't going to be defended and it's like, well, what's the point of giving it to FTR? You know? Like, give us something. Don't just have us sit here and be like, oh, my God, there's dynamite on. Like, what they're going to do? Not Nothing new. You know? All right, the second thing that I did not like about the Forbidden Door pay-per-view. The main event, which had Hiroshi Tanahashi, the ace of New Japan Pro Wrestling, versus John Moxley for the interim, 
I hate that word now. Thank you, AEW. The interim AEW World Championship title because CM Punk is injured and apparently his x-rays came back and his foot looks really bad, according to Tony Khan. Anyway, let's talk about this main event. The main event was good until fucking John Moxie has to blade again. Tanahashi likes to keep a really high standard when it comes to wrestling him and being in a wrestling ring. Tanahashi does not like anything that's related to hardcore matches, death matches, none of that stuff. Not violence. Tanahashi is a stand-up wrestler that wants to have a pure wrestling match with no chair shots, no ladders, no tables, no hardcore stuff, none of that. There's a reason why Kenta pushed so hard to get a hardcore match with Tanahashi, doing everything in his power to get the match he wanted, and Tanahashi gave in. We saw a side of Tanahashi during that Wrestle Kingdom match with Kenta in this hardcore matchup. We saw a different side. Tanahashi's not proud of it, but he went through with the match and Kenta came out a little bit more hurt than usual because Japan is not equipped to really do hardcore matches. They don't believe in that kind of violence. The same way over here in America, it's violence 24-7. So Moxley ends up blading in this match and starts to bleed and continues to fight Tanahashi. My problem is, is that no one is pulling John Moxie aside to be like, hey, can you please stop blading? I think that there is a time and a place to bleed in a match. But John Moxie has been overdoing it because he thinks that's what get the crowd in it. And he's one of those wrestlers that want that 15 minute of pop fame because he's bleeding in the match because he's showing that he has heart. And the story is that, you know, he's the underdog. He's bleeding and he's, you know, fighting through fatigue, basically, because when you're bleeding that much, whether it's real blood or fake blood, you're going to end up being fatigued and you could eventually pass out and shit like that, right? So, you know, that does tell a story that does have a place in professional wrestling. However, does it have to be in every single Dynamite, every single Rampage, every single pay-per-view? I know, I'm exaggerating, but that's my question. Does it have to be every single time he's wrestling? And then does he have to coerce the other wrestlers in the match with him to bleed too? Why? Why do we need these guys to bleed? We really don't. Just go in there, tell a story, let me fall in love with the wrestling, let me fall in love with the story, and let me fall in love with you so that way I can cheer you or boo you in the match. I said this on my live stream and I'll say it here. By the way, if you're not following me on Twitch, make sure to go follow me at twitch.tv forward slash Marie underscore shadows. I said during my live stream while talking about John Moxley and blading is that John Moxley had an alcohol addiction problem. He took care of that. Nice, which is awesome. However, he replaced one addiction with another, and that is blading. So he stopped being an alcoholic and went to blading and is doing blading very frequently. And that's causing me to bring this up as concern. 
you don't need to blade frequently in order to get your story across, in order to let the fans cheer you in a genuine way where you can be like, yes, I made them cheer for me. This is what I wanted. I wanted to feel this. You don't have to blade in order to get that response. To me, that just seems sort of lazy and just something that you want to do rather than what you need to do. Like I said, not every single wrestling match needs someone to blade so that way they can tell this epic story that no one is going to remember in two weeks or less than a week. So that was my problem that John Moxie has this addiction to blading for some odd fucking reason. Like I'm starting to get desensitized and I'm not really going to really care as much or really be that invested into the story because let's just say this hypothetically what happens if any of these wrestlers do end up getting seriously cut are we to believe that oh it's part of the show because we're so used to somebody always blading or are we really going to be concerned that this person can die in the ring you do not want to train your audience to suspend their disbelief in professional wrestling when an actual injury, a serious injury occurs because one of your other wrestlers on the roster wants to blade every single time, wants to have a violent match every single time. If you want to have that violent match, go save it for GCW because GCW really doesn't care. The fans don't care over there either. They expect violence 24 7 even if gcw puts on really good wrestling matches with certain people so that is just my concern because i do care about these wrestlers and that's a very red flag that nobody wants to bring up because everyone is already used to the fact of oh it's a show aside from the blading that happens in this match John Moxley wins. We all know that he was going to win, even though like it would have been interesting if Tanahashi won and brought the title over to NJPW. So that way the other titles on AEW can sort of breathe. But in the end, I'm happy that John Moxley won so he could keep it on the Dynamite show and the Rampage show. However, at the end, they're in the ring. And how do you have... A WCW-like brawl ending just so you can hype up blood and guts. How do you take away the spotlight from Tanahashi? Tanahashi and the rest of the New Japan guys have been waiting two years to hear crowds to feel their energy because in Japan they can't cheer at the moment. And you go and have a WCW-like brawl. Just to promote blood and guts for the many times that they did during that pay-per-view to remind people at home that blood and guts is on Wednesday. That just tells me that you don't care about what's currently happening. If you have to keep mentioning something that's going to happen next week, multiple times over the duration of your own pay-per-view that you wanted, that tells me a lot. 
You should have let everything just breathe. You had the next day to put out promos to remind people why they should be tuning in to watch Blood and Guts on AW Dynamite. Rather than taking the spotlight away from Tanahashi, Tanahashi could have had that standing ovation from the fans, couldn't stand tall even though he lost against John Moxley, but no, that was taken away from him because AW wanted to promote Blood and Guts. It makes no sense to me. It really doesn't. How do you treat the NJPW guys a little bit lesser than your wrestlers when it should be equal across the board? I would have definitely said, no, we're not doing no WCW-like brawl at the end of that match. The people that came out were the people that were going to be in the Blood and Guts match, and they did attack Tanahashi. But it's like, why would you attack the ace of New Japan Pro Wrestling in his match at the main event at the end of it all when he could have just stand tall take a standing ovation send the crowd home happy with him playing air guitar and just having a really fun time with the AEW universe mixed in with new japan fans why would you want to take that away from him when in japan they can't really interact like that with the fans that was really a poor decision and because I said on Twitter that this is like a WCW brawl and like, and like, how do you do this? I, of course, get the jackasses on my tweet. And it's like, if you don't care about what I say and you think that my opinions are still shit, then do us all a favor and don't even comment. Because it makes no sense for you wasting negative energy when you could be using that negative energy to support someone who cares about this business. If you're going to be negative, you have time to support me. I'm just saying. You have time to support everyone else that you know and that you come across if you're negative. Because there's no point in pushing that negativity onto people who just want to create original content, get original ideas out there, and feel strongly about the promotions that they love and feel strongly about professional wrestling. I have strong opinions that can come off a little bit aggressive, but that's just my passion talking and wanting the wrestling business to stop having so many flaws that the general consensus is very blind to call out and to be like, hey, we got to change this up. Hey, can we improve this? Can we improve that? So apologies but this is me this is who I am my opinions are really strong my passion is really there and yeah it could be aggressive but that doesn't mean like I hate you I really don't so ladies and gentlemen I know I said this might have been a short podcast episode it definitely isn't we're heading into the one hour mark I am so sorry but I have been keeping all of that in for a long while. And I just wanted to now say everything I needed to say for this one episode. I will not be reviewing the pay-per-view in full. I won't even be watching it again. I just wanted to get those two points out there because no one was really talking about it. And I do like that it got praise from people. And I am even praising it, too, for being a very well done pay-per-view in the circumstances that they dealt with. And I'm still a believer that the buildup was shit. I believe in my New Japan guys. I know my New Japan guys can carry events and pay-per-views and they're the best to do it. 
all of them, from New Japan Strong to New Japan World, they are the best. And I know that that's why this pay-per-view, AWX New Japan Pro Wrestling Forbidden Door, succeeded because of the New Japan help. If they did not have the New Japan help, it would not have succeeded. I'll tell you that right now. Anyway, that does it for me. I am wrapping up this podcast episode about it. Tune in next time where it's going to be all G1 Climax 32 coverage. So if you have not been on my Twitch channel yet or read the other Substack newsletter post about what I'm going to be doing, I'm going to just quickly summarize. G1 Climax 32 starts July 16th. It ends on August 18th, August 18th being the finals of the G1. The G1 is a round-robin style tournament that determines the winner to face the IWGP World Heavyweight Champion at a later date. Our IWGP World Heavyweight Champion is Jay White, the leader and the catalyst of professional wrestling, the leader of Bullet Club. So opening day is July 16th, July 17th. That is a Saturday and a Sunday. Saturday, I will have a full review of all the matches of the G1 as a podcast episode form that you guys will get directly to your inbox at 10 a.m. the next day and so forth as a normal post. It will drop. However, On the days off that the G1 is not happening. So that Monday, right after the Sunday. So Monday, July 18th, I will be over on Twitch. Twitch.tv forward slash Marie underscore shadows to generally talk about the G1 with everyone here. And it will continue like that until we get to the end. I really want to cover this in full. I want to make that commitment to myself. I want to make that commitment to you guys that I cover the full G1 in its entirety. I got to start doing challenges to myself to know that I can do this. Because again, this content, I make this all by myself. I don't have a team, but you guys are my driving force. And I love each and every one of you that are here on this journey with me. And I hope that you continue to be on this journey with me. Without you, there won't be an us. I'm included in that. You're included in that. This is an us experiment. This is an us project. This is why I love you guys so much for any type of love that you show the square circle info, the square circle info is an extension of the square circle podcast. And I love talking about wrestling. I love teaching about wrestling. I love trying to make the fandom a little bit smarter. And I hope that you guys can continue to be there with me for me and everything else. Cause I'm going to be there for you guys too. As always, any questions, leave it in a comment. I'll get to it. I'll let you know if I need to make a video about it to go more in depth into it i would do that too but again if you do get a paid subscription you will be getting the calendars for the g1 climax 32 as a present from me i spent a lot of time doing this to make sure that each and every day has all the correct matches from all of the blocks that's right this g1 has four blocks block a block b block c block d and i'll explain that more in a future episode i might have some guests on there to talk about the g1 but that's generally what i want to do and if you made it this far thank you so much for listening to this if you have any questions concerns comments make sure to leave it in a comment below i love you guys until next time 
you have been listening to an episode of the Square Circle Podcast. I am your host, Marie Shadows, and I'll see you guys on the next one.